0: Hey there, everyone, it's Clark Brown with Disaster Podcaster. Welcome to episode two of our third season. If you did not catch our first episode, we had Mike McAllowitz, the incredible author of eight to nine incredibly strong, powerful, entrepreneur, business-minded books. Real easy to read. He was a great interview. He's just, he completely gets it. He has a great way of talking people through entrepreneurship is a, a shit show and it's tough and uh, you just got to stick with it because the uh, the benefits can be great. So just wanted to kind of make sure if you didn't listen to episode one, this is the first one you're coming across, just like all of them. Go back and check them all out. We got some real, real good ones, some nuggets. Some of them cause quite a wave and stink because we kind of don't hold back on these, but um, just really have a good time. So if you're watching this for the first time, welcome. And if it's multiple times, welcome back. And I hope your 2023 is going well today this is going to be part of a series of interviews that I'm performing and uh, having with some of my friends this year. Lots of time, podcasts are always going to try to get the big, huge, mega industry gurus that are always teaching on stage in front of a thousand people. And and those are great. We learn a lot from those. But to me, I think you learn a lot when you get down into my level and and other levels with, with folks that just do it every day. And have been through the battles and scars. And, um, have got a bunch of friends that fit inside that as well as a bunch of the friends that I'm talking to in the first half of this season are going to be kind of some OG rebels. They were very, very involved in the very first couple of years when we were forming the rebels and what it stood for really meant a whole lot to a lot of people. So you're going to see a bunch of familiar names if you're from that group of the rebels and, uh, our first person today that we want to talk to is my friend, Mr. Danny strong. Hey, Danny, how we doing? good man how are you living the dream living the dream it looks like you're uh looks like you're in the great nation of texas over your shoulder
1: that i am i am happy to say i'm now a a full-time resident of texas
0: i can't wait to get into that story because i uh it's my home turf and it just gets you your dna so hey thanks for uh chiseling out some time of your schedule i do know that you're running businesses in a couple of states right now and yeah if for those of you watching this is we just are probably still coming off the tail end of a really major vortex freeze event across this country much of this country and um most restorers gave up their christmas and their new year's breaks to serve customers and i'm sure danny was right in the thick of it so thank you for chiseling out some time today
1: not a problem thank you for having me
0: Tell us a little bit about Danny. Where uh, where is home for you? Uh, obviously Texas, but when did you get in this industry? You, how do you tell us that quick little uh, elevator pitch of Danny Strong?
1: So uh, this is my twentieth year. I never thought I'd say that because I'm quite transient and uh, hot from thing to thing, but from what I heard, those who make it in this industry, stick and stay, and that's where I'm at. So, yeah, I uh, started carpet cleaning and then uh, picked up psychrometry and then uh, started growing a passion for drawing and classes and learning more. Then I uh, went to a construction company and uh, bought a house uh, and uh, learned the estimating aspect of things and the uh, that business uh, was trying to go to government contracts with no contracts. So me and uh, eight other guys decided to leave and uh, I went into the, I, I literally went into business the next day. So wow, and that was 14, 14 years ago. DRS has been in business.
0: Okay, that's what I was going to ask you. When was that transition from carpet to restorative services and whatnot and drs is uh pretty much outside of hartford or in in connecticut right
1: yeah so uh we operate our main entity is in uh portland connecticut central connecticut uh we actually service uh like seven states up in new england day to day pretty much pretty much day to day we're in connecticut Rhode island day to day and then we'll do uh vermont new hampshire new york uh sometimes over over to jersey depending on what what our clientele has going on
0: yeah Cool. So, uh, more recently in the last few years, you've also opened up some equipment rental uh, division of your company. And I think you do a little bit of consulting for client needs it, right?
1: Yeah. Yep. So, uh, 2018, I kind of decided to, uh, branch out a little bit and, uh, because my company did one thing and it was too hard to ship the whole train track. So I decided to uh, diversify and go into equipment rental and, uh, and then I did a consulting as well. So the equipment rental has been going well. It's been constantly growing year over year. And uh, I mean, we pretty much, I call it the uh, golden triangle from Connecticut to Texas to Florida is kind of <laughs> the, the area which, uh which we primarily service day to day. So, and then uh, as far as the consulting goes, that's kind of uh, all uh, freelance project management, a little bit of business coaching, and pretty much project design type stuff. You know, getting the job set up or getting the what I call the triage phase of the of the job identified for other contractors that guys have guys that aren't so uh, confident in that. Yeah.
0: No, I think uh, you said the triangle. That's a real weird shaped triangle. And some parts of that are more golden than others. <laughs> I think the Florida part is just more like slimy and moldy. But uh, no, I get you. Yeah. So, uh, well, cool. Well, uh, it just for those you watching, Danny and I, again, we, we are very good friends. We probably find ourselves texting each other twice a week. Sometimes it's off the wall crazy stuff sometimes it's really just it might actually be industry things and um they have a whole lot of, a whole lot in common um danny uh tell us about your family you've got a real nice size family
1: yeah so i have uh six kids quite uh entertaining yeah. my oldest is 23 he's down here down in uh austin while the uh wife and littles from nine to two are up in connecticut and uh yeah yeah so lots of lots of traveling. And your
0: sister's in the industry too, Tammy.
1: Uh yeah, she she uh she was with me for probably ten years. Uh, she's now a property manager for uh, condo association or something like that over in Florida. Yeah. And actually, that's where I that's where I stayed during uh, Ian. I stayed at her place and uh, did many jobs in her community.
0: Yep, yep, yeah. I uh, I know she was in the business. it's a, it's a family affair. And another thing that. That uh, Danny and I have in common is that you are a practitioner, and your business operates under the EOS model, the Entrepreneur Operating System, made famous by the book Traction by Geno Wickman. Um, uh, Danny actually has that in his business, and and we coach that model here at Restoration Advisors. And tell us, when did you? pick up traction? And what has that done for your business?
1: Uh, I would say that was probably right around 2019. And, uh, it took, uh, we hired an integrator because I didn't want to play the integrator at the same time that I was trying to work through it and learn it. Um, so I think it was good for us as a company to, to hire the outsource integrator. And, uh, honestly, I just, I, I, one of the reasons why I did it, I was just at a point where I hated meetings. I hated dealing with my staff. And uh, because it was such trivial matters that came to me, so uh, I had to set up structure into where people had specific roles and accountability, and uh, we had scorecards and metrics tied to it. So it's it's easier to hold them accountable. It's easier for them to grade themselves before it gets to me. And uh, last focus on the uh, you know hour and a half a week that we had team meetings or to uh, discuss the scorecard. And what's going
0: on. Yeah, I want to clarify here. I, I don't think Danny hated his team and meeting with his team. Danny is like most of us, that he values time and time is extremely valuable. So it's the amount of time that we have meetings in our general businesses that don't get us anywhere. So they those meetings could have been an email. They could have they shouldn't even yeah. include they should they shouldn't even include the highest level of people. He said, That's your department, take care of it. So that's what EOS does for me is it it makes most of the meaningful time and it empowers everybody to be accountable for their own department so own things that they're supposed to be taking care of and everything doesn't have to come back to the top just to go back to the bottom and to the middle
1: so before eos i actually I, and i still have the cup today it says uh i survived another meeting that should have been an email <laughs>
0: <laughs> i love it i love it well uh, I, i'm also doing another um podcast with uh, another good friend of i know yours and ours and i will say listen a lot of people say god clark you know a lot of people in this industry and i do and I, I put myself out there to meet everyone danny strong knows a lot of people i you know will cruise around the internet whether it be linkedin or facebook and and he's saying happy birthday to people that i didn't know he knew that we know a lot of the same people so but uh in a few weeks we're gonna have a podcast with mr parker olson who um, is also a mutual friend of ours and one story i'm gonna tell is uh, i think it was 2018 the ria was having their expo right there in austin texas and parker said hey you have a place to stay yet and i said, I'm probably gonna stay at the hotel he said hey i got airbnb but i've got two other brothers of mine that are gonna be staying here with me and "And i'm kind of an introvert danny i'm like stranger danger you know if i don't know you i'm gonna be like you know and i said well who are these guys He said, oh they're just great restorers this again didn't know you yet and he's like one's danny strong and the other is chris was within circle and i'm like yeah i don't know him but i said if you say they're cool so no we kind of break the ice but from since then i mean I, i can't imagine a month that we haven't talked a few times so that was a really nice house overlooking the hills and had a couple of people come over and hang out so it was a really cool way to do it so i appreciate your friendship so you it's said it's you...
1: funny that that's where i landed my uh my house in texas now you know
0: yep kind of yeah. ironic so, so tell me about that transition for you to move down there
1: i started uh working down here at harvey and uh, really appreciated it and liked it. And uh, I knew, kn- knew I had a love for, for Texas, so I wanted to start working on it. And, uh, you know, my son kind of got into the business. He's uh, 23 now. He got into the business when he was like 18 and uh, started traveling with me. And he liked Texas. And we, we ended up having an opportunity to work down here through a fellow restorer that invited us down to help fund some volume claims. And uh, we just decided to set up down here. Cool. We share in 2019, maybe. Yep. I like
0: Austin. I mean, Austin is, um, it's one of those cities in this country that has really gone through a big metamorphosis in, in like pockets of the town. And they're kind of getting a bad rap, but uh, Austin is a very good indicator of Texas. Uh, obviously the music scene and the, the people, it's a pretty smart town. There's a lot of educated people there. Um, even though they go to UT, they're still kind of smart. I mean, I'm an Aggie, so I can say that. But uh, you're living north of town, so you're out of the scary bubble. But I mean, there's some parts of town that are a little disappointing right now, but I think they're just nations just going through a real trying to figure out how to handle some of this cultural shift that we've got but the homelessness is is pretty heavy there and and things like that but I figured they'll they'll get work Texas usually self-heals itself uh being from there but um well, tell me about you were working at Ian uh we didn't get to no you did we actually had a party at the house didn't we we had a, a little cookout one day so you had a, you had a pretty good run down there helping some other guys out and are you finished down there or are you still kind of trailing on a few jobs
1: Nope. We got everything. Uh, I actually just got my, uh, last, last trailer over to Texas came in, uh, I think Monday. So nice finally kind of like everything
0: nice. and wrapped up over there. Cool. Well, Danny, let's shift over to, um, you know, you were part of the, the rebel movement. Now, by no means um, need uh, vindication for what it stood for, but we kind of are aligned and we believe in, in a business's independence. But tell me what the rebel years, what what attracted you to that movement? And then what was your part of it and stuff? What's your viewpoint on this industry as it relates to the rebel group?
1: So I came across it probably at YouTube. Actually, honestly, it was probably maybe even meeting Parker at the CR class and mm. uh, heard a little bit about it. I might have might have joined it slightly before that, but didn't mm. really know much about it. Yeah. And uh, I've always kind of been a rebel in life in general, you know, kind of cut cut my own clock, cut my own path, if you will, and uh, had a tendency to you know lead the way and have people follow me so uh it kind of spurred my interest and honestly just the uh transparency and the constant conversation in the roundtables is what drew me to continue to follow up on it learning what other restorers were doing throughout the country to uh to navigate situations was very helpful honestly i learned a lot and Probably I actually not probably I did change my entire business. I came into the trade, like I said, twenty years ago, learning Xactimate. Everything I knew was Xactimate. I was I was probably one of the best in the state as far as I'm (laughs) aware. And we, yep. what, what my ego tells me in Connecticut and uh, so I turned my business on its head and pretty much uh, got off Xactimate and uh, stopped using it because adjusters were so pigeonholed and you know fixed on what they would and wouldn't pay and I just got tired of it I uh, grew up a very uh, adversarial life and uh, got into a point in life where I don't want to be that way so I, I, I try to figure out ways to remove myself from that
0: yeah. You do. Uh, going back to what you said, uh, it's funny that our mutual friend Parker keep coming up here. I made mention that, you know, he calls himself. He's part of the Xactimate Ninjas group, and he's a ginger ninja. And I said, so you're, you're probably one of the top, you know, top functioning operators, Xactimate. He goes, not one of. He goes, I'm the. So he said, he said here's the same thing. He said he's the, he was the the best user. And I, I don't know if you were in Salt Lake City with us, but they had a, a, a kind of a competition between Parker and uh, Ben and a few other people, kind of like a speed versus accuracy. I wow,
1: the... What is it? Elevate? I uh, uh, Jeremy Reese. And, yeah. we're
0: in kind of a uh, contest there. Yeah. You got a, a contest based on, you know, because I, I don't know that fastest is best. I think accurate is better, but, at, but time is, time is money.
1: Thought. Who did it the quickest and uh, who's the most accurate?
0: So <laughs> that would have been fun. But yeah, so Parker said he was the best. I don't know if he really wears that crown, but I don't think he's asking permission. But yeah, what you said about the rebels was I think a common theme for all of us is is for us to have conversations that weren't really having anywhere else to talk about the elephant in the room and have you know a lot of us saw what was starting to transpire and that's between the the programs the process delay to not offend you know the tpas of course and that's starting to happen more and more but they were happening separately without everyone in one place talking about it and then everyone thought they were the only ones going through it and therefore tell themselves they must be doing something wrong they can't solve anything with that but bringing that all into one kind of ecosystem community people start to of say oh this is kind of a bigger systemic thing but this is not me it's a Basically a template that the insurance companies are using. And I think that was the hot moment. And then I will tell you that just the community itself, hanging around other people and seeing how they do things. And, and like you said, um, you know, just, just the different way that they looked at stuff was like, wow, just, you know, really, really taught me a whole lot, you know, and I'd already sold my company by then when he started that group, but I was like, man, I thought about reopening my company sometimes from listening to a better way to do it. So, but just like anything, you know, and, and the rebels are still a group, I guess, yes, they're still a group, but I, you know, they kind of just shifted. I think some of the original members left, and then I think a lot of the conversations ended up not being about the true original meaning for it, and uh, and then there was just some power struggles, and like you said, I'm with you if. If I see drama, I'm going to walk the other way and try not to, to be part of it because it's just the drag. So now you uh, you have some equipment rental companies that you do well during the freeze, the Vortex. Did you have a lot of equipment out?
1: I did. So it was a, kind of a paradigm shift. A lot of my clients had sold out to larger companies. Mm. I wasn't exactly sure what the play was. Uh, so I, I kind of had gear all over prepared to see what came in, but I wasn't really sure if anything was going to come in. So I got, I got some decent amount of sales, not as well as I would have liked, but uh, due to some of my relationships i had tied up some gear in expectation for it to go to a former client which is now a bigger conglomerate and uh didn't end up taking it i had me hold it and uh so i ended up biting my cheek on that one and uh learning a lesson that uh you need to follow the contracts and walk where the contract (laughs) is and not go by uh verbal handshakes anymore especially when somebody's sold out to a bigger entity because they don't really have the control they used to have so
0: wow so that's two topics there that I just would say the I was interested to see, and I didn't know if we were going to see much of it from Herky Ian. But last year was a big merger acquisition phase for our industry. There was a lot of that going on. It seemed like almost every single week Michelle or, or, or was promoting some new you know acquisition in, in CnR magazine. And I, I thought that maybe the hurricane season was gonna be too early for a lot of those cult of relationships to really have blossomed enough to make a big impact. So then I was wondering how that was, but I think everyone has more equipment. You know, everybody, if you bought this company, you now exceeded your capacity, just a matter of logistics, getting done around. And so then the other thing is contracts. So Danny, I just I just recorded a new YouTube video. It's, you know, their lessons. So I just recorded, it's gonna go out and then it's gonna get edited. Our industry, and if no one takes anything from this podcast today besides this and how awesome Danny is, I want people to stop thinking that work authorizations are going to hold up. Work authorization as a standalone contract with your customers, your residential, or your, it's not. And I, you know, Danny, I don't know, I'm going to ask you in a minute where you stand with that, but I have people argue with me and say, oh, we've used that nonstop forever, but have you tested it in court? Because a contract is a legal binding thing. A work authorization is a component underneath a pre existing contract or an MSA. You now have a work authorization to do work on a previously contracted set of agreements in terms of conditions. And I'm just, I've had four clients this week, Danny, that did freeze work off of verbals or work authorizations and it's just obviously the speed of the chaotic nature the speed of things it didn't quite go well and, and now here they are one of them the customer actually said i didn't sign a contract which you you gave me a piece of paper that has no agreement to a dollar amount and you can just sue me because i don't think it, you know so that's what you're going to be faced with and i know that goes against what the industry has done forever now not in the commercial world in a commercial world we did a TM and m put a value on a job you know Maybe it's a not to exceed or a ROM, put that number into the contract. So at least they've, uh, they've agreed to that amount that way that in front of a judge, what's your stance on that argument, that whole scenario, right there, because you just mentioned contracts.
1: So because I operate in so many different states, I'm very well versed in what, what state requirements are in the states that I operate in. I don't know what they are in other states really, but, uh, I try to follow the law. I mean, and not only that, but even when it's not law, I stopped using work authorization probably year two, so 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. We Ever since then, we've been putting dollar values on jobs and providing price lists for signature and uh, operating in that manner because it's so much more legal and binding. And uh, unfortunately, my experience in this industry, I end up in court all the time. People don't want to pay their bill and I have to pursue it. So, uh, luckily, with all the paperwork and documentation that we collect, I've been successful, I'd, I'd say 100% of the time, because I've never had a judgment against me. And, I mean, yeah, we've had to, you know, come off the bill because somebody was indigent or whatever the case may be. But you chose you know, to do that. All... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I,
0: And that's the thing is, it's and, I, and again, I, I generally understand why... It kind of goes back to a bigger topic of our industry is very reluctant to hold the client accountable for their own disaster. Uh, There's somehow this misplaced belief that because the insurance is paying for them, the insurance is responsible. The insurance is just their reimburser for their, I mean, it's just, it's really off. But I think, and just from conversations with hundreds of restorers, they're like, they're overwhelming empathy for the customer, but they just went through a traumatic experience. I don't want to wave an invoice in their face. And I said, I get it. I think you're a little wrong, but waving in the insurance's face who has no contract with you is literally a dull point. That's why they delay. The insurance company owes you nothing at all. There's no, insurance doesn't owe a restore a down they own the homeowner and if the homeowner is not challenging them to get paid handing them a paid invoice the whole triggering of the mechanism is not in place for the policy so I uh you know there's still people even clients that can't quite stomach it yet Danny but I have gotten a lot of people start doing the price up front put a number on it and, and what that does it customer says, I'm not going to pay you that. I'd rather know before I start than after I do the job and have the expense out. So, you know, we've talked about Absolutely. that ad nauseum, but during this freeze, during this event where people had 30, 50 jobs and they were just doing handshakes and work authorizations, that is risky. I mean, super, super risky. And I think they could learn to listen to people like you that have been in this business for 20 years. The results of that could be catastrophic for your financials, at least, especially on the slow pay for the first quarter of the year.
1: Absolutely.
0: But contracts That's aren't contracts no. aren't they're True. not evil they're not you're you're in business and they're not they're not going to make you a bad person they're just going to going to make you a professional person
1: transparency is key when it comes to contracts
0: that's it the right kind of people you want to work with have no problem with contracts the wrong kind of people you know, they they'd like to do things a different way and maybe we just need to let somebody else work with them and we just need to continue to find our avatar of who we work with and that's the big thing but that's still a problem in this industry and when I talk to my peers Danny and, and you and I've talked about it these problems aren't going away because every single time a new restorer opens up whether they're independent or a franchise there's a lot of voices telling them that that's the way you do it so therefore that's how we repeat the same things over and over and over as opposed to creating a new narrative where we might I can snub this out and start to see some real transition. Do you agree with that?
1: Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I even see it in my own business when, we, uh, when we're when we hiring a new manager and um, training yeah. a new manager. Like you said, the empathy plays a role in it and they want to move fast because it's an urgent situation. What I find, my experience tells me you lose control, you actually lose control of it by moving fast. It's our job to come up with the, uh, so in my business, in the restoration business anyway, we have what we call the four pillars. And number one is the project design. If you don't come up with that project design effectively and onboard that client with what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, and uh, and lay that out properly for them, and get them to sign the proper documentation, you've lost that job before you even step foot on it.
0: I love that. I love that. And, I, and you and I both, I agree. Onboarding is it's a it's a that by itself. If a company can really really grasp that, that will see it be, it'd be transformational for most of them. I'm convinced that clients don't know what the plan is. And for our lack of telling them, they leave it up to their imagination and then, it, then it's just ambiguous. But I love the language of telling customer, we are professionals at this. And the more that we can stick within our process that was specifically designed to handle your type of loss, the more we deviate from that, the more unexpected hazards are going to happen, the more unexpected, possibly expensive and things. As long as we stay within the process and the communication, circle the outcome usually is incredible you tell a customer that and i think a customer would say i hired the right people because that's kind of like real professional language as opposed to mrs jones you won't have to pay a dime your insurance will pay the whole thing there's no worry i'm like don't ever say that i mean your your intentions are great but you're you're giving them a free pass and and that's not what's it's not going to help. It's not going to help you. It's not going to help them or anything. So
1: I'll throw out the second nugget for the day. Yeah, This is a fact that we run in our process that is, is definitely a nugget in the takeaway. We call it the communication tree. We identify one point of contact for the project and one point of contact for our business. And nobody other than that has authoritative ability over the project other than those two people. And the mm. reason being is obviously within the insurance industry, you have the homeowner, you have probably a property Manager, and then you have an adjuster. So nobody knows who they're working for, and everybody's moved in different directions trying to please everybody. So by doing that, we've pulled ourselves back from that, and we've clearly identified who's the authoritative person that we're actually going after, and who is the one that's going to make the decision as to whether the scope is going to change other than us. And it's gonna, everything's going to go through that person. And that's one thing that uh, really alleviates 80% of problems in proper onboarding and relaying that information to the customer. That's
0: huge. That's a huge nugget everybody rewinds that listens to it and tries to adapt something like that in their own business um because it is communi- I mean I can think of the nastiest jobs I ever had weren't our equipment it was communications and it just went south so you're you're 100% right there and I think I wish restores would ask more questions and talk less stop selling and start asking the customer questions like outcome questions what would a positive outcome of this experience look like for you when we're finished what would it take for you to say that was a five star service uh get their version of that because what you might think it is for someone it might be something totally different and I don't think this is a time to assume so ask the customer saying we're going to try everything we can to please you but I don't want to do guesswork what triggers you what upsets you what's going to be a a black eye for us and I think if you intentionally ask those things and even let them see you write it down and the rest of your team has access to that I think the customer be like that's someone to listen to me because most people want to be listened to so just an idea um, I think those kind of tie in together part of that communication tree but I love that Danny is even if you're the owner of the company you're going to go through the conduit and make sure you're talking through the person that was delegated so that you're not confusing things right and that's also not taking away their authority you've delegated 100%. something to someone i think that's really powerful so i hope everybody listening will adapt that and, and if you want to reach out to danny and ask you more about it he's not hard to find <laughs> he's in texas or or connecticut what do you think the next five years of our business looks like danny we, uh, we talk about that in our circles a lot. What do you what do you see some things happening in the future?
1: I mean, I, I definitely see the larger companies continuing to uh, acquire more. I don't see that stopping anytime soon. So it, the 100% independents are going to have to be very nimble and move very quick and swift. And uh, I, I myself am making significant changes over the last year. And honestly, if you would have, my mental health, as it relates to this business is significantly better than it was now than it was last year, just because of all the changes we've been making. Because, yeah, yeah. Uh, I realize I have to be able to be able to shift this business on a dime in order to be able to keep up with the larger guys. And uh, I'm hoping AI is going to pick up a little bit more. And like, for example, if you go do a 3d model with Matterport, I'm actually hoping you'll be able to get a exact type rendering bill and say right then and there immediately, whether I'm going to accept it or not. Let's take the problem out of, out of the equation, you know,
0: Yeah And I think there will be some shifts in the estimating world too. I don't know what they look like, but I think that's going to be a big place. But I I like your idea of the, you know, yes, the acquisitions are going to play a big part, but um, I think the smaller company, I think everyone needs to become more strategic. The very first thing in your funnel is the A, the attracting, is getting that first notice of loss. I see too many people, you know, your biggest problem is not this or that. It's getting consistent leads. I mean, any business depends on sales. So as these big companies grow, as programs, continue to grow street i actually think amazon could eventually start bringing aboard contractors in amazon and they have the distribution and the user interface they can tell customers hey if you have a flood in your house go to your app we'll dispatch a company that's vetted and i just think that whole model is just like home depot or lowe's or someone saying we've got preferred vendors and warranty guys i think the automation of that stuff is big but i would tell small businesses right now because i've got a lot of clients that tell this get good at digital marketing. You have got to exist in that digital world because it's growing. And I'm not saying make TikTok videos, although I could tell you right now, Danny, I've, I've seen some alarming results from some restoration companies that have adapted doing some TikTok and doing a lot of reels. And I'm 50 years old, Danny. I don't want to go there. I don't want that to be the new thing, but it, that's where your clients are. I think we still have homeowners who own businesses and structures. They're still Facebook. They're not really TikTok. They're not necessarily Instagram or something. So I think Facebook is still it. But if you don't have a strategy around that, and I mean, you can have relationships. And you can have referral partners, which are my favorite, but I think the big dog in the room is going to continue to the society is going to merge. So I think those are some of the things, but I'm with you. I think, um, just the strength to afford, to withstand uh, payment receivables on scale, the bigger companies are going to have the pockets to do that. And the smaller guys are not. So
1: I think we're going to see a lot more fragmentation in the industry as well. Yeah, You know, we're starting to see a little bit with, uh, you know, instead of everybody doing everything, you're starting to see a lot more specialized, you know, mm. like duck work for example. There's one okay. person for duck work, one person for artwork, one person for electronics. Yeah. I mean, yes, there might be a bigger company that owns every single franchisee of one of those. But at the same time, I think the segregation is going to continue to happen.
0: So one project might have five sub niches that are working on that job? Yeah. Don't you think? You know, I've watched that over the years kind of evolve or not evolve, but go back and forth and I'll You know, my background was in dry cleaning and textile I was doing textile cleaning 20 years ago, and I would watch the carriers go between tell the contractor, you just find someone to do the textiles and y'all handle it and put it in your bill, to no, we'll have people on our list. We'll call the textile people out ourselves. And then at the end of the day, the, the carriers like, I don't want to assign contractors. I, that's not what we do. That's why the TPAs became so big is like, we'll let TPAs do that. But Allstate didn't necessarily want to call out dry cleaners because then they're responsible for the performance of those contractors. And that's just not what they do. So I think that shift continues to bounce around, but if we don't do something about these TPAs, they're going to create vendor lists for all these specialties and they're going to absolutely control the project from the beginning to the end. And and that's not always good for everybody else. So I got one more hot question, more hot button for you. Public adjusters, what is your stance on PAs in the industry and and especially maybe in mitigation and and things like that? Do you have a stance on that? Do you have experience?
1: So as it relates to my business personally, we've kind of peeled back the onion, if you will. We started, you know, I started, I I want to please the customer. We did everything from super nuts and uh, the older I get and the more experienced I get, the more I want to scale that back and peel the onion back. And I say that because we're primarily commercial and municipal. So I don't do a whole lot of residential where PAs are more suited. I'm not saying PAs aren't suited for commercial, but I see them a lot less in that arena. I mean, PAs have their time and place. I've worked with some some in the past, either by proxy or whatever the case was, but uh, never consistently dealt with a particular PA that you know, was better than the other. I mean, some, some have their little niches like anything else. Yeah. Some are good at content, some are good at building. Some use the delay, deny, defend tactic in order to get the insurance company just to get ticked off and pay the bill some like yeah. it to expedite
0: the claim get it over with yeah so there's a lot of flavors and, and the reason i bring it up it has been a discussion in some other circles and i know they're really really big in the the roofing world and the contracting side but um i think it's you know exterior damages and stuff but i just think that the speed at which mitigation goes they're just people who have tried to convince me that an insurance claim should not exist with a insured without a PA being involved because the insured is generally not equipped to deal with what's about to happen with the insurance claims process. There's a part of me that doesn't disagree with that, Danny. I I believe that the cards are stacked against most people. You mentioned delayed and I defend. I think there's an education level. I think that there's too much ambiguity in the the language of things, and there's too much. You can read something and take infraction and and perceive it for something else, and I think that's what some claims people do. I mean, adjusters aren't bad people. I just think they're doing their job and adjusting. I know three really good PAs, only three and I, and I know hundreds and I would work with them, but I don't think it's just a default. They should be on every single project. And for the reasons are, and and I talked to a gentleman the other day and it's like, well, number one, their contract is with the insured and they're getting their Some States are limited to 10%, but most PAs want 10% of everybody's money so we start getting into that mafia stuff up like there and they want to take a piece of the pie from everybody when i don't need the pa on my side I, I know how to dry a house or clean from a fire and then there's also the delay they'll hold a job up trying to maximize coverage or a payout and freeze the whole job and nobody gets paid for a while And i think that happens a lot but um to me i'm again back on the independent side just let me do my part let me get in and out and you guys squabble with the insurance company but i need to keep growing and get paid for what we did and that's not always the case when a, a pa is involved so i just wanted to see what your stance was i know there's some areas where pas are a bigger part of the landscape there's actually a couple of states where they're not legal i think arkansas might be one of the states where pas are not legal in in uh, arkansas which is interesting but i'm um, not aware of
1: that interesting
0: but I will say what there's a part of me that says that the customers are outmatched by the powers of the insurance and and what's about to happen and the growing limitations on our ability the contractor or the UPPA the ability for us to even participate in any of that conversation is now isolating the customer where they have no one to to lean on and and I, I don't have an answer for that but I don't know that always that a PA is the person because they're asking what's the cap because that's the number they're going for because they're incentivize a 10% of the, of the whole claim. And a lot of times for restoring, they don't want to restore, they want to replace, and it kind of removes us from the equation. So I don't want to cause a big adversarial, cause I do know some PAs that are good people, but i just, I just think we have to have a transparent conversation about just cause we so can, on other, mean we should.
1: On, on the other side of that, I, I personally, over the next five years would like to see the uh, APA grow significantly because I feel like that's a independent bias thing that could mm-hmm. eventually help. The, a lot of this in my vision is relating to residential, again, because like I said, I don't really see PAs too often on commercial stuff. But uh, I mean, as it relates to residential, I mean, your homeowner is typically, they're, they're driven by fear. They Every are. time they have a claim, they don't, they don't want to, what are their first thoughts? I don't want to get kicked off my insurance. I don't want to have my rates go up. So they're controlled by I, that. Adjustment. And I don't want to pay out of pocket.
0: I don't want to pay exactly. a penny out of pocket. Are you a member of the so APA? I,
1: I am not a member of it uh unfortunately yeah, uh probably will be in the future i was actually uh contemplating bringing them in calling them up and getting a membership based off a claim i got going on now i just got to uh dig a little dig a little bit more into it right now before, well the, uh,
0: the, the the consumer can be free so the consumer is actually who needs to make the claim they need to contact the APA and they're free with us as professional members are just supporting them from a industry but we can't bring you know they won't go to our they have an SIU now which is a you know an incidents unit for uh, you know fraud special special investigation unit SIU and um but I'm I'm a member, uh, a professional member of those, and I, it's, you know, I'm watching a lot of people grumble about how slow it's growing. It takes a while to change something that's major. I mean, you're you're up against a behemoth of an industry that has had control of the narrative for a very, very long time, which is the insurance side. And people don't think that fraud exists as much as it does, but we've got proof, we've seen some arrests being made, we've got a lot going on right now. We have a new whistleblower initiative where we've got some whistleblowers that are coming forward with some real internal memorandums showing some appalling, appalling internal memorandums. And um, it's going to be ammunition for changing that narrative. These storms are big. This past year, I know that Doug his team were in the storm and putting out a lot more signs Uh, you always see the signs beware of dirty contractors and beware of greedy scam artists well we're the ones saying beware of fraud from carriers. Be wary from those dirty carriers. That narrative doesn't happen, but the insurance commission will tell you they have more complaints on behavior from insurance than they do on bad actions from consumers. So I'm, I'm also excited to see where it goes, but I think people just need to set expectations. They aren't there to solve your one, you know, if, if Clark Brown has one claim when you're not getting paid, APA doesn't go sickle. They literally go after criminal fraud, not bad faith, and I think that's where some people need to really shift their paradigm. Is that's just it's got to be criminal. It's just saying, "Hey, you're doing things wrong," has no weight behind it. So, but I'm with you, and I do urge you and everybody as quick as you can jump in because they can't do what they need to do from the sidelines. They're a nonprofit, so um, but they're doing a big. Uh, actually, they're doing a large benefit in. Uh, Fort Myers next week. And so hopefully they'll continue to do that. But like anything else, they're going to evolve. They're going to address what everybody's dealing with and stuff but um i'm glad you brought them up because uh, they mean a lot to me um, i've enjoyed my time and i'm not even a contractor i'm just i have a lot of friends like you that are that i'm seeing reciprocal it's really pushing down So when are we not going to see you next when are we getting together
1: there's a whole lot of traveling this year i already booked <laughs> are you oh we forgot to yeah. talk about
0: i guess it's been two years ago tell me what was on your bucket list that uh those listening what big milestone did you accomplish man i
1: set so many goals nowadays and see to accomplish them i need a little Help. Which one was that? Be
0: you climbed Kilimanjaro.
1: Oh yeah, that, that's actually five years ago now. Five. Five. Wow.
0: Yep. Wow. Five. I'm, I'm time. For- goodness gracious but yeah so you uh you and your mother is that correct you yeah, climbed together
1: absolutely that was def- definitely a uh, bucket list amazing experience and i'm grateful i had the opportunity and uh, honestly uh restoration has provided me a life to be able to do such a thing
0: well i want to close on that because i want to i want those watching to put nuggets and components of this call together and go from danny's been in this for 20 years i've been in it for 20 years we've had lots of setbacks danny you agree with that there's been lots and lots and lots of i've lost lots of money and then I made it back and I've lost it again several times
1: <laughs> I've lost one. let's put it that way
0: <laughs> so the takeaway here is it's not going to happen in two or three years if you're a restoration owner and you're thinking in two years you're going to have a juggernaut of a company you're already failing because you're going to set yourself up for disappointment and that's going to take your energy because your energy is what you have it takes a while and I always talk about our buddy Laney he was on my podcast last year and said it wasn't until year 12 where he felt he could walk away for a period of time and go do something else. And he's teaching now at DeWald, but it takes a while and you've got to go through a lot of people. You've got to test out some processes. There's no magic bullets. You can't just go to RIA or BOLIND or Restoration Advisors and get the answer. You're just trying to put together the ingredients for the recipe that you're going to cook. So I want those listening that might get discouraged at the absolute uphill battle that this thing can deliver some days as a solo entrepreneur. Get involved with something, someone, all those competitors in your market, look at them as collaborators and find the right people. Get to know Danny and I, join AIR, join the RIA, join a Facebook group or whatever. But there's I see a lot of people taking this thing on themselves, just completely losing all their energy. And and this takes a lot of energy. So listen to Danny, it's afforded us a lifetime of. Of memories good and bad and and i can't wait till the next 10 years danny i'm gonna i'm gonna do some major shit in the next 10 years i'm going to make this industry an actual recognized trade i don't know about regulation i'm not a big fan of regulation but it cannot be easy to start a restoration company there needs to be a barrier of entry to kind of clean this shit up do you agree with that
1: i would agree with that but through that, there needs to be accountability because the problem with things right now is there's way more regulations than we would ever need, but there's no regulation. Nobody's yeah. enforcing it, no. which is the biggest problem in my eyes. If there was start some sort of enforcement out there, for one, but then two is us as restorers, we have to respect each other, you know. I, and I hope that my legacy in restoration is that I'm looked at as a respectful person because I think that's how I've had my success is by not burning the bridge. And uh, there's many other people that I came up working for that I still work with today because of the respecting them and not not overstepping the boundaries. And I think that's important in restoration as, as we get so many people entering this arena.
0: I think in business, I think in all business, I think you need to be a person of value. And I think trust is the biggest currency. But I agree with what you, I think that's a good place to close it out is treat people, with respect, get answers before you judge or presume too much but even where there is regulation there is very little enforcement i think texas the mold is is a big the big uh, it's a big one that where you're at there's a mold license required but there's a lot that goes on wrong within the people that have the license and stuff so but i suppose that probably exists in a lot of trades plumbing hvac electrical i'm sure it's the same conversations and they're having in their podcast but i think that's not a reason not to try so Danny, I think that was a really great way to end it. And then I, I think your legacy will be, uh, you, I know people that have picked up the phone and called you and you've always answered and that's not nothing. So I appreciate you being alongside the ride with us here. Thank you. Everybody check out Danny strong online. He, uh, he's a sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. <laughs> you care. can count on that. Count on that. Take care. Take care. everyone.